Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. I started last week uh, with this simple little thought, and I'm going to do it again today, and I will probably do it again next week as well, but the thought is, I genuinely do not understand why everybody wouldn't want Christianity to be true. Maybe not the version that you grew up with. Maybe not the version that we've made it, and maybe not the, the version that some denomination has handed down to us, but the original version, the version that you get when you come to Jesus, when you see the way he treats people, when you see how he treats sinners, I don't know why anybody and everybody wouldn't want that version of Christianity to be true. And I don't understand why, um, I do understand why, why somebody wouldn't, uh, would have trouble getting there. I understand why some people just in their, in their mind, can't get to the place where they just, they're not sure that Jesus is God or they don't believe Jesus is God. I mean, when you think about it, most of us were at that place at some point in our life, right, where we just, we didn't believe it. And then for whatever reason, something we read, a conversation we had, maybe God works on us long enough that we finally just get to this place where we say, you know what, I believe. I understand that, that sometimes people have a hard time getting there, but I don't understand why everybody wouldn't at least want it to be true. Because there's a difference between I don't believe it's true and I don't want it to be true. So uh, the first part of that I get, second part I don't. And, and because in the first century, all kinds of people, religious people and non-religious people, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, were actually attracted to Jesus. So you would think that if we could get it right today, that people would be attracted to the church if we could just do it the way Jesus did it. And that really is the problem. That's the rub. That's the hard part for us is doing it the way Jesus did it. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. And as we said last week, the reason that people were so attracted to Jesus was a single word. And that single word is the word grace, undeserved unearned, unearnable favor. Favor from God, not based on anything that you did, not because you're a great person. In fact, it's favor from God in spite of what you've done, in spite of how you've lived. It's, it's what you crave when you hurt someone that you love or someone that you need. Because in that moment, you can't take it back, you can't fix it, you can't erase it, in that moment, what you want more than anything else is you want to be treated as if it had never happened. That somehow, maybe they'll remember what you did, but somehow that relationship wouldn't be tainted for the rest of the relationship's life, and it could be restored to its original beauty in spite of what you have done. Undeserved, unearned, unearnable favor. And that is why, when correctly applied, grace solves just about everything. Marriage relationships, parent-child relationships, friendships, work relationships. Grace really is the solution, when properly applied, that, that fixes just about everything. But there's something interesting about grace as well. It's almost as if grace doesn't exist until it has been experienced. Until you've experienced grace, grace is really nothing more than a word. There is no emotion around it. There is nothing that drives it for you until you have received grace. There, there's no story to tell until you have experienced it. Where there is no relationship, there can be 
no grace. And that is why God had to show up among us as one of us, because we would have never known the grace of God if we had not had the presence of God. That's the whole reason we celebrate Christmas, is that we now have the presence of God with us. And we we, you know, we welcome him at Christmas time and talk about the baby, and it's just a beautiful, wonderful time of the year. And last week, we looked at the, the life and the writings of John. Uh, John was with Jesus at the very beginning of, of his public ministry, and uh, John had an up-close and personal seat to, to watch how Jesus did and said things, and uh, John was in a prime position to be able to tell the story of Jesus. And, um, you know, we speculated last week that somewhere along the way, John decides to put pen to paper and get some of these thoughts out so that people could know what he had seen in his lifetime. And, uh, you know, I don't know whether John reaches that conclusion on his own or whether somebody said, hey, John, you know, we, we, we love talking to you about this, but you need to write this down. And as we said last week, John, as is the case with most people in that day, especially as they got older, they probably, he, John probably didn't write this himself, don't know that for sure, but the speculation is, is that more than likely he dictated this to somebody because he was advanced in age and, and it would have been difficult for him to do it. But he's got a, like a scribe that's listening to him talk and he's writing things out. And John starts off his gospel in the beginning. And I think that the scribe would hear John say in the beginning and go, oh, I know how this goes. In the beginning, God created. And John's like, no, no, no. We've already got a version that starts like that, right? We don't need, we don't need another one. I want to do it differently. In the beginning was the word. And John reaches back into the Greek language and he pulls in this word logos, logos, from which we get the word in English, logo. It, it's, and, and in Greek, it's an all-encompassing word. It's, it's, it, it has a lot more weight to it than our word, word. And so John says, look, in the beginning was the word, and then he said this in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So, so Jesus uh, John, tell us more about that. How in the world did God squeeze himself into a body? What do you mean the word became flesh? And I think John would say, you know, I, I can't explain it. Um, all I know is that after my time with Jesus, all I know is that Jesus was God in a body. God became flesh among us. And we, John would say, you know, Paul, and, or not Paul, Peter and Andrew and James, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that, we said this last week, that's Jesus. Jesus was all grace, all truth, all the time. But it was the grace part of Jesus that was so awkward. It was the grace part of Jesus that, that was so unsettling. One day, Jesus was with his disciples, and um, Luke, who thoroughly investigated the life of Christ, talked to eyewitnesses. Um, he, we get such detail from the, uh, the writings of Luke. We get names and places, and we even get tithes from Luke. He was very thorough, gave us a lot of detail. Luke, in his gospel, writes this about Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So Jesus and his disciples are going through this town. There's no intent to stop. There's, they're not, you know, they're not going to have dinner. They're just, they're passing through this town. They're, they're not going to stay. Um, they're just passing through. Verse 2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, 
and was wealthy. And the reason he's wealthy is because he's the chief tax collector. What this means is Zacchaeus has gone to Rome. He has petitioned the governor of Rome and has either paid some kind of bribe or paid some kind of fee or licensing thing. Somehow he's convinced the people in Rome and the governor of Rome to make him the chief tax collector for the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho's a, a pretty good-sized place, and it would have been difficult for, for Zacchaeus to collect all the taxes by himself. So what he's going to do then is he's going to go out and he's going to recruit some people to work under him, and they're going to collect taxes, and that's all going to funnel up to Zacchaeus. They're going to recruit some people, and that's going to funnel up to them. They'll funnel that up to Zacchaeus. So you've got this like pyramid kind of thing going on. And, uh, you know, they would all funnel their money up. And, and the, the problem with that is, so these people on the bottom have to go to their people and they have to collect taxes to satisfy Rome. Then they would also have to collect enough tax to satisfy Zacchaeus, actually not Zacchaeus, the person that's above them. And then that, you know, it just makes its way up the chain. And eventually they get to make enough money that they can take care of themselves as well. And what this does is it creates a system that is very unfair and it's, it's quite um, difficult for the people that have to pay these taxes to do anything else. It's an, oppress, it's an oppressive system. Uh, it sours the people. Consequently, nobody likes Zacchaeus, okay? He's like the bad guy. Everybody knew him, and everybody despised him. He just, he was not a, a popular figure in Jericho. But Luke, and I don't know how he knows this, but he, he may, maybe he talked to Zacchaeus, Maybe Zacchaeus comes to faith and eventually Luke and Zacchaeus meet and have a discussion. I don't know exactly how Luke knows this, but Luke says in verse 3, he, meaning Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, he's not trying to meet Jesus. He doesn't want to get too close, but like a lot of us, he's curious. He's leaning in. He's, he, he's not sure what he thinks but he's got a chance to see him, and so he's interested in that chance. He's at least going to take a look. And so verse 4 says, He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Okay, so now it's really awkward. We've got men climbing trees. And when you consider what they wore back in Jesus' day, that could get really interesting really fast. And, and uh, Zacchaeus is desperate. He wants to see Jesus. He wants to, uh, he wants to know what's going on with this guy. And he kind of knows the route. He kind of can anticipate where Jesus is going to be in just a few steps. And so he runs ahead. He climbs up in this tree. And he's watching and waiting for Jesus to come by. Luke chapter 19, verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Now, this isn't in the text, but I think that this is a possibility Jesus is walking along, he looks up, he sees Zacchaeus, uh, this man in a tree, he stops and he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I think a hush fell over the people that were there. See, here's what happened. It's kind of like a parade in our day. We get up early, we grab our chairs, we get our kids, we show up for the parade route, we get our spot, right? We've got our spot, this place that we want to see and we want to watch the parade pass by. Well, these people have gotten up and they've gotten there early. They heard Jesus is coming through, so they're, they're watching. Now they're watching this man climb down out of this tree. Jesus is calling him out. And they're thinking to themselves, finally. 
Finally, somebody is going to call him out on what he's doing to us. Finally, somebody is not going to be intimidated by Zacchaeus, and they're going to get after him and tell him that he needs to go easy on the people, and he shouldn't take as much money from us. And in what may have been one of the most awkward moments in Zacchaeus' life, and I'm sure he had several in his life, what may have been one of the most awkward moments is when now he's got to climb down out of the sycamore tree with an audience watching awkward and everybody's thinking to themselves this is it this is it this is where jesus unloads and this guy makes his way down he makes his way through the crowd and what jesus says next shocks everybody he says i must stay at your house today now remember they were just passing through as far as the disciples are concerned, they're just passing through. And then they hear Jesus say, I must stay at your house. And this is a tax collector. This is a bad dude. Nobody wants to be around this guy, least of all the disciples. And they hear Jesus say this, and they're thinking to themselves, Jesus, really? Are you kidding me? We're gonna, we're, we weren't even going to stay in this town. Now we're going to stay at this guy's house? You've got to be kidding me. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, that's a great word, isn't it? We don't use that word much anymore. Mutter. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a, center, of a, of a sinner. Jesus, this isn't how it works. We got up early. We got there, got our spot, spot in line. We got our spot along the curb. I got my kids here. We, we're interested. If you would want to talk to us, that would be great, but we don't expect that. But we just wanted to be able to see you. We just wanted to watch you walk by and this guy, who, who takes such advantage of us, gets to meet you? And you're going to go to his house? Are you kidding me? So unsettling. So backward. So upside down. Everything about this just seems wrong. It's unsettling to the people who were there. It would be unsettling to the people who would read this account years later. And to the, the degree that you and I can understand the context of this story, it is unsettling for us too. Because we don't necessarily understand the kingdom of God. God's economy. The way God sees the world. The way God sees you and the way God sees me. So, so time and time again, usually in the form of parables, Jesus would try to explain this upside-down kingdom of God that he was bringing, and he was bringing a brand-new ethic. He was bringing a brand-new ethos, a brand-new way of seeing the world, and he was trying to figure out ways to help the people understand what it is that he was talking about. And so leaving the story of Zacchaeus there in Jericho, we come to a new place where Jesus is telling a story to a group of people. We find this in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, and he's telling a parable. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for the vineyard. He's telling a parable. This didn't actually happen. This is a story that Jesus makes up, but he's going to, like I do when I get up here and tell you stories, like I did with the, telling you about the kids in, in junior worship. That's an That's a parable. That's a, that's a story, although mine was true. He's just telling a story that, that helps to communicate what it is, the point he's trying to make. And in every parable, there are two people that you need to discover in every parable. There's the, the God figure, and then there's also a person that represents you. So when you read the, the parables in Scripture, the first thing you're trying to figure out is, okay, who represents God and who represents me? Verse 1 of chapter 20, we read it again. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning 
to hire workers for his vineyard. So the landowner goes out to the town square, and there would be a group of people in any city, they would have this. There would be a group of people that would show up. That's where you got laborers for the day. These guys are looking for work, and they're waiting for the farmers and the the vineyard owners to come through and say, hey, who wants to work for me? And you usually hired all the people you needed all at once at the very beginning of the day. You, you, you know, you took them with you or sent them to the field, and that was who you had. And as you might expect, if you're a vineyard owner or if you're a farmer, you're much more concerned about the work that's going to be done, and you're much more concerned about the state of your vineyard or the state of your farm and the harvest as you, than you are about the, the people that you've got working for you. Um, you know, you, 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 they're just, a, you know, they're interchangeable drill bits. You can get any number of them and switch them out, and it's not really a big deal. But the, the work of the farm is really it's what's on your mind. Verse 2, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So in other words, you day laborers, I'm going to give you a denarius. Who wants to work for a denarius? And, you know, hands shoot up, and he's like, okay, you and you and you and you go get in the truck or the camel or whatever it was that they were, <laughs> that they were using, right? Like, I don't think they had an F-150 that, that people were jumping into back then. But. And then about three hours later, verse 3, about 9 in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And the first part of verse 5 says that so they went. Now, you may or may not have heard this parable before. But whether you've heard it or haven't heard it, you can kind of see where this is going to go, and it's pretty unsettling, and as, as it is, and it's unsettling because it seems unfair to us what's going to happen. I mean, think about it. This isn't how you would build a following if you were Jesus. You wouldn't think this is how you would do it. It's the opposite of everything that everybody has grown up with or experienced. But this is the way you introduce an upside-down kingdom of God to people who are not familiar with what it is that you're wanting to do. So this parable that Jesus is teaching goes on, and and he's talking about the landowner. In verse 5, he says, he went out again at about noon... And then he went out again about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. Now, Jesus was a brilliant storyteller, okay? And one of the go-to moves for Jesus when he told these stories was he would go to the extreme. He would exaggerate the circumstances. He would, he would stretch it out a little bit. And, and, and people are wondering, where is he going to go with this? And it would cause them to kind of lean in more and listen more intently. And, you know, as, they, as he tells this story, it would have a twist and they would think, Wow, I mean, what's he going to do with that? And now Jesus is going to push the story and take the story to the extreme in verse 6. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? (laughs) And everybody knows the answer to this question, and they respond to him in verse 7, because no one has hired us right? Like, that's why we aren't going anywhere, because nobody hired us. And you just wonder, what kind of life did these dudes have if they didn't get hired all day, and they're still standing there, five o'clock, waiting on somebody to come back and get them, but it's Jesus' story. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. And probably, as a good storyteller would, Jesus took a pause right here to let things settle in on the people that are listening to him. 
Because they're thinking to themselves, well, this is going to be a disaster. I mean, he got people at 6, he got people at 9, he got people at noon. He went and got people at 3, now he's got people coming at 5. I mean, what's the pay scale going to be? He, this is going to be a mess. And Jesus just keeps building the suspense. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So we're going to start with the people who didn't even probably work an hour. If, if, he's, if he's commissioning them to work at five and he sends them to the vineyard and they're going to knock off at six, they probably, you know, they had to travel. They haven't even worked a whole hour. And here's the twist. Here's the value system that Jesus is trying to introduce us uh, to into the world. And this is where Jesus takes this parable and it's unsettling to some of us, but to others of us, it's really, really hopeful. Now, let's be honest. If you're somebody like me who grew up in church, I mean, I have never known what it is to not go to church. My mother had me in church as an infant, and I've never had a time in my life where I wasn't going to church. Uh, I mean, for crying out loud, my kindergarten and first grade Sunday school teacher's name was Mrs. Christian. It doesn't get any more Christian than that, right? Just a side note, it was really cool. Before Mrs. Christian died, she was able to, she told my mother when I was just a little boy, she said, he's going to go into ministry one day. And before Mrs. Christian died, she got to hear me preach. That was a fun day. But some of us have grown up in the church. And, and we've just been there all along. And, and, you know, we're trying to walk the walk and talk the talk. And sometimes we're better at it than others. Um, we're trying to live on the straight and narrow. We're trying to do the right things with our lives. And, you know, we, we're the ones that are like, hey, God, are you watching me? Like, I'm doing my quiet time, and I'm doing my Bible reading, and I'm trying to be good to people, and I'm praying to you. And, um, you know, come on, Jesus. I, I, I'm the guy that goes first, right? Like, I, I'm the guy that does my part. I'm the guy that, that I tr I'm trying to behave myself. I'm trying to be good for God. Matthew 20, verse 9, the workers who were hired about 5 in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So these guys got what the original people got at six in the morning. They get paid the same amount, a denarius. Which means that the guys that are waiting to get paid last are the ones that showed up at six o'clock in the morning. They're watching all this unfold and they just watch people that worked for less than an hour get paid the same amount that they were told they were going to get paid. So you have to think in your mind, they're getting really excited because they're thinking, well, if he's paying him for less than an hour and he's going to give him a denarius, maybe what he meant was he's going to pay us a denarius an hour. Verse 10, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Makes sense. But each one of them also received a denarius. And it's right here that if this were a movie, the music would take a turn. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Like something's up here. What's going on? This isn't right. And what did the people do when they found out that the amount of pay that they had agreed to work on for the whole day early that morning when the vineyard owner came, what did they do when they found out that they were going to be paid the same amount? Verse 11 tells us when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Just like the people outside Matthew's house last week when we talked about Matthew the tax collector. Just like the people who watched Zacchaeus climb down out of a tree and they've lined the street 
and they were hoping to see Jesus and maybe even get to touch him or talk to him. And Jesus blows right by all of them, and he looks at this sinner, this, this man that everybody hates, Zacchaeus, and, and you know, they, he talks to him, and he's going to go to his house. And the people muttered, and they grumbled. The laborers respond to the vineyard owner in the parable like this, verse 12. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, and they are not equal to us. We were here early. We've worked all day. We worked through the hot midday sun. We've given you our best effort. We've poured it out for you. We've gone to the wall. We've been here all day long, and we've given you more time and more effort, and these guys are not equal to us, and you're paying them as if they are. Verse 13, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. And everybody that's listening to this is thinking to themselves, what do you mean not fair? By what standard is this not fair? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. And then Jesus, using the voice of the vineyard owner, gives us a really big clue about the way of life that we have been invited into. And the vineyard owner says, I want, and so the, you know, the, the workers are now like, oh, so this is what you want. This is about what you want, not about what we want. <laughs> yes. I want to give the one who, has, who was hired last. It's a gift. Yes, I'm going to give it. They didn't earn it. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Well, well wait a minute, dude. You, you didn't give us anything. We showed up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and we've been working for you all day. You're not giving anything to us, to which the vineyard owner would say, I gave you a job. At which point they go, mm, well, there is that. You did give us the job. And once in a while, I hear somebody say, I earn the money I got. I earn, I work for a living. I earn what I get. No, no. God has blessed you with a way to make a living. Don't get that wrong. That's a gift. That's a gift. If you've got a job and it's something, that, especially if it's something you enjoy, that's a gift. And it's a way to provide for your family. That's a gift. Verse 15, don't I have the right, he says, the, 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 the vineyard owner, don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? And now comes the punchline. And with one line, Jesus is going to shine a spotlight on our hypocrisy when it comes to our resistance to receiving and giving grace. But what he says next leaves everybody speechless. He says, or are you resentful because I am generous? Wait, resentful? of generosity I mean who would be resentful of generosity that's just childish and immature no I'm not I'm not resentful of generosity I just think that since I worked harder and in this moment Jesus outs all of us because we all see the world the way the 12-hour worker sees the world Right? We all think, as I'm telling this story, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, the 12-hour worker really does have a case. I mean, I'm on this, if I'm, if I'm going to choose a team here, I'm choosing the team that worked all day and didn't get what they should have got coming. I mean, something's, there's an inequity here, and I think I'm on team showed up and worked for 12 hours. 
And in this parable, as in many of the other parables that, that throughout Jesus' ministry, he invites us to see the world and the people in it, in it differently. And he invites us to see our relationship to God differently because the kingdom of God is characterized by unsettling generosity. And, and Jesus, through this parable, is asking you and he's asking me, can you handle that? Can you handle a system, can you step into a system where the undeserving are given what they do not deserve and are you willing to extend to others what they do not deserve because I have extended to you what you did not deserve? And right about now, all the prodigals in the room are thinking to themselves, These in, you know, the prodigals are the people that went out and jacked up their life. The prodigals are the ones that went out and Jacked up a marriage, jacked up a job, jacked up a family, jacked up a, 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 a friendship, right? The prodigals, the ones that went out and, and just didn't do it right, misbehaved, thumbed their nose at God, whatever. All the, when they hear this about grace, they're thinking to themselves, hallelujah, amen, that's me, hallelujah. But what about the early to the parade people? What about the people who tried to do it right their whole life? the people who've tried to be faithful. What do they say? So Jesus, at this point, pulls out of the parable, and he says to those people that have been faithful their whole time, he says to the 12-hour people, he says to those of us that have grown up in church and you know, read our Bibles our whole lives and have tried hard to not be the prodigal, he, he says to all those people, it's going to sound a little bit like the last will be first and the first will be last. And it will feel unfair because of how you were raised to measure fair. And, and that leads us to the question, how have we been raised to measure fair? And for us, to, we compare to determine fair. That's how we get to fair. We start comparing. And here's the takeaway. Grace doesn't compare. Grace doesn't compare because grace, Jesus, doesn't compare. Jesus is perfectly married to grace and truth. Not one more than another, not a balance, not a trade-off. Grace and truth. All have sin and fall short of God's standard. And again, I understand why you may not believe that this is true, but I do not understand why everybody wouldn't at least want this to be true. You know, where you go, there has to be something on the inside of people that goes, man, what if that is true, that I can be forgiven of everything that I've ever done and everything I'm ever going to do? Because the system that Jesus leaves us with at the end of his ministry and the system that the Apostle Paul and Peter and others explain to us is fairer than fair. It's beyond fair because in the kingdom of God, and Jesus does this over and over again, Everybody is invited. Everybody. The people who showed up at 6, the people who showed up at 9, the people who showed up at noon, those who showed up at 3, those who showed up at 5. Everybody is invited. The people who are faithful and got it right, the know-betters and the did-betters, the people who didn't know better, the people who knew better and did it anyway, which describes just about all of us at one time or another, right? We've all been to that place where we said, you know what? I know what's right. I'm just going to do it anyway. I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to. 
I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Everybody is invited. People with baggage, people with regrets, people with a past. They get invited along with people like me who have sat in judgment of people like that and thought that I was better than people like that. Everybody is invited into the kingdom of God. And everybody gets in through the same door. Jesus, grace and truth personified. Jesus, who called sin, sin, and sinners, sinners, and then died for all of them. And everybody comes through the door the same way, in the same way, by placing their faith in Christ the Savior, trusting that what he did on our behalf made us right with God no matter how unright we were. So today, I just want to give you an opportunity, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, I want to give you an opportunity, if you're somebody that you would describe yourself as a prodigal, I have run away, I have moved away from God, I'm not as close to God as I wish I was. So if you've never made a commitment to Christ, if, you, if, you, if it's a completely new thing to you, you have an opportunity today. If you're a prodigal, you have an opportunity today. Maybe you're even someone who you would like to think that you walk with God, but you just feel like you may have strayed off just a little bit. We're going to pray a prayer here. And if at the end of this prayer, you have made a move back in God's direction, I would love to know about that. I would love for you to tell me. If you're here and you're not a believer and you pray this and at the end of it you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm now a believer. I, 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 that prayer describes me. My whole heart was in that and I, I, that's me now. I, I definitely want to hear from you if that happens to you. So let me just read this with you. You can just in your head read along. Heavenly Father, I fall short every day. I need what I don't deserve to be forgiven of my sin and restored to you. I believe Jesus' death on my behalf accomplished both. I place my faith in him as my Savior and Lord. And what I'm hoping to do today is to give you a day and date and a place and time where you can say, that is when I really came into my own and started to follow Jesus. That is when I came back to Christ. That is when I started following Christ for the very first time, and I made him my personal Savior. And again, if that describes you in any way, please, please let me know that. But here's what I want you to understand. Don't let your pride get in the way of that decision, because it's easy to do. It's easy to think to yourself, you know what, I don't need that. I'm a pretty good person. I do it pretty well. Well, listen, if you've ever apologized to somebody, you have testified against yourself and said, you know what, I can't even keep my own standard, much less keep God's standard. I can't even do what I want to do, much less what God wants to do. And so don't let your pride get in the way. Just come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. Don't, don't, don't let yourself get talked out of this. Don't let yourself think, oh, man, I, you know, I mean, I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be able to behave well enough. No. You're thinking, like, you're thinking in fairness terms. You're comparing to somebody else. You've got some image somewhere that you say, you know what, I can't do that. Well, Jesus isn't asking you to do that. Jesus is asking you to follow him. 
You follow him best you can with what you got. Don't let pride get in the way. And if you do make a decision after you've prayed that prayer, I would love to hear about it. Let me pray with you before we close uh, this morning. Father, grace and humility, all all these things are tied together. And there's just this, this thing in us that grace is weird for us. We, we want justice for everybody else, but when it comes to us, we want grace. We don't necessarily like giving grace. We want to be paid back. We want it made right. But Father, when we sinned against you, that's not what you wanted. That's not what you did. You went to a cross. Grace said, I'll take the punishment on me to spare you and I will forgive you. And so, Father, I, I, just, I just know as a person that you have forgiven, I know how good that feels. And I know how that empowers me in my life to wake up every day and just to look forward and say, my sin is not something that I ever have to worry about again. Am I a sinner? I'm absolutely a sinner. Am I going to get it right? No but I'm forgiven. And so, Lord, I'm just trying to wake up every day and live like a forgiven person would live to say thank you with my life. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you that you are willing to do that awkward, unsettling thing that is the answer for just about everything, and you're willing to extend grace even to me. Father, for the person who maybe has been thinking about following you for a while, I pray that you give them the guts to do it this morning. For the person who has wandered off and gotten far away from you and realized today, I need to get back, I pray that you would bleed them home. And for the person that walked in here with a great relationship with you this morning, I pray, Father, that they leave this place thankful for your grace and your truth. You called us sinners. And then you died for us. Thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.